You can catch the entire interview with Colonel Williams as well as everyone else that we've interviewed throughout this series over at St. Mark's YouTube page. If you head to youtube.com slash St. Mark Houston, you can see all the interviews and there's some great conversation happening over there. So I encourage you to check it out. This morning's scripture reading, it also serves as our, our text for the sermon, comes from Psalm 19. And as I read Psalm 19, I, I want you to be aware of a couple things. You know, this, this psalm is, is broken into two, perhaps you could say even three parts. Uh, the first part is David looking at the heavens and saying that it, it declares the glory of God. But then he looks at God's word. He uses words like Torah or law. He looks at God's word and says that too declares the glory of God, but in a different way. And it, in fact, it has a, a different impact upon us than the glory that's revealed in creation. And then what you could call the third movement of this psalm is David reflecting on his own, his own weakness, his own, his own sinfulness, his own need for God to forgive him in light of all that he's seen, the glory of God in both creation and in his word. Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What Psalm 19 tells us is basically this. That God makes himself known to the world in two ways. He makes himself known to the world through creation and through revelation, you could say. He makes himself known through the works of his hands, things he's made, and the words that he has spoken throughout history. Uh, let's start with the works of his hands, creation, what we see and what that tells us about God. The glories of the universe, they tell us about God in general. But we don't get much details from creation when we look at, you know, the stars in the sky or all the other things we've talked about in this series. But we don't get much detail about who God is, but, but it's hard to think that he's not there when you look at the complexity and the beauty of all that is around us. Creation tells us that there is a God. It tells us in general who he is and what he might be like. 
Uh, the same way that, that a painting that's on display in a museum can tell you something about the artist who painted it. You know, you can learn something about Van Gogh simply from looking at Starry Night or the Iris paintings and certainly his self-portraits. And the observation of the universe in the same way tells us a little something about the maker of the universe. And throughout this series, you've heard it from experts like Colonel Williams. You look at the universe and what do you see? You see order, you see purpose, you see precision, you see a scale in the universe that is unfathomable to the human mind. We, we can't wrap our minds around the size of all that God has created. You, you might recall in 1990, the Hubble Space Telescope gave us our clearest glimpse yet of the universe and just how large it is. And what we now know, thanks to that telescope and others that have gone up since then, is that within the universe there is likely between 100 and 200 billion galaxies. 100 to 200 billion galaxies in the universe, each one of those galaxies containing, it's estimated, about 100 billion stars in each galaxy. The Andromeda galaxy, just one of them, is about 2.5 million light years away, and that's a close one. 2.5 million light years away, which meant if you sent a text message to a friend in the Andromeda galaxy and that text message traveled at the speed of light, it would take 5 million years for their response to get back to you. And that's assuming they didn't leave you on red for a little bit. When you look at all that we've, we've been given in creation, God, God must be. He must be perfect. He must be precise. He must be the source of all purpose. He must be larger than we can possibly imagine. I mean, look at what he's made. The heavens and the earth, they are, in the words of David, they are pouring forth speech that tell us something about who God is and what he's like. And this knowledge of God that comes to the glory of creation, it humbles us. It humbles all of us. It doesn't matter if you're like a really religious person or if you're more agnostic or outright atheist. We all have the same response to the attributes of God that are put on display in the glories of creation. It humbles all of us, every single one of us. That feeling of awe that you have when you stare out at the ocean or that little wow that you whisper to yourself when you see a star shooting across the sky, that is you being humbled by the attributes of God as they are put on display in creation. And something in us, again, no matter who you are, something in us knows that that feeling of humility and awe that comes from just staring at the beauty of creation and pondering it, that that humility that comes from creation itself is somehow good for us, which is why we seek it out. It's why we chase it down. It's why we want a vacation in beautiful places or we watch some documentary about some exotic location or why we listen to some podcast about the latest scientific discoveries. It's because there's something in us that, that hungers to be humbled by the beauty of creation. And what I would say is that there's something in all of us that hungers to be humbled by the attributes of God. But again, what you can know about God from creation itself hits a rather low ceiling. Because even the most marvelous things that <laughs> Colonel Williams saw when he was spending 534 days in space, it only tells you so much about who God is. Again, it's like having a knowledge of God 
that's similar to the knowledge you have of a painter as you stroll through an exhibit in a museum. You can only know so much about a painter or presume or assume so much about a painter as you stroll past a Picasso. So then there must be some way to know this God who's known in general in creation to know him specifically, to, to, to know him in detail. And of course, that's where God's word comes in. In Psalm 19, David refers to it as the Torah or the law or the testimony, the precepts or the commands, the rules of God. But basically what he's talking about is what we as New Testament followers of Jesus, we would call the word of God. It's the record of God's words within history. And this, this is where we get to know God in detail. And this makes all of the difference in the world because this is the difference between strolling past a Picasso and pondering what the artist must be like and actually like having access to all of Picasso's text messages and scrolling through them. It hits different. You're going to know the guy on a whole different level, right? And that is what God's word is. It's a more intimate understanding in detail of who God is. That's what it is. In the word, unlike in creation, we hear God's name. In the word, unlike staring at the stars in the sky, we learn how God feels about us. We know what he wants of us. We know what his purpose is for us. We know what he asks of us. We know what he's done for us, to, to love us and to save us. In God's word, we know the context in which all of us are living and residing. The word is where we get to know God in detail, and when we know him in detail, that's when we can actually encounter him. And while creation humbles you and gives you a sense of awe, knowing God in detail through his word, it, it does more than humble you, it transforms you. And that's the point that David is trying to make. That's the point David is trying to make in the psalm when he says that, that the law, or what we would call the word of God, God's spoken word into our history, into our world, God's spoken word, it does stuff to you. It, it revives the soul. It makes wise the simple. It rejoices the heart. It enlightens the eyes. It is to be more desired than gold. And here's what I need you to know. That's actually what you're longing for. You're not just longing to be humbled by the beauty of creation and to ponder where we come from and who made it all and what the purpose of life is. That's just the beginning. What you were actually made for, what you're actually hungering for at the most deepest level is to be made new by the one who made all things. Your deepest need is to be made new by the one who made all things. Now, a question you might be asking is this. Matt, if that's true, if, if creation helps us to understand God just a bit in general, but, but in his word, we can know him and experience him in detail in a transformative way, in a way that satisfies the deepest longings of the human heart, then why aren't people just like clamoring for the scriptures? Why isn't it the first thing that people do when they walk into a hotel room is open up that drawer and tear open the Gideon Bible? Why aren't people doing that? If this is true, if this is what you say. Well, there are a lot of factors that play into that. That's why we don't clamor for the scriptures if all the things we say about them are true. There's a lot of factors that play into that. I think one of the primary factors is this. The way in which God words God's word transforms you is not something people tend to clamor for. Here's how... 
Here's how God's word works. It transforms you by exposing you. Sounds fun, right? God's word transforms you by exposing you. I mean, think again about how David ended the psalm. He's pondered the, the greatness of God as revealed in creation. He's pondered the greatness of God and, and the wants and the wills and the words of God as revealed in the scriptures. And where does he end up? He ends up in this place where he is intensely aware of his own weakness, his own smallness, his own frailty, his own sin, his own mistakes. I mean, he's completely exposed. Listen again to what he says. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. In other words, I, I've got sins and mistakes I've made that I'm not even aware of. But if you are God, as you say you are, you see them. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. I'm so weak that I'm often controlled by things I don't even want to do. And then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Implication, I've done some bad things. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord. I'm not sure if the things I say and think are acceptable. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. The result of encountering the glory of the Lord as it's revealed through the word is beyond basic humility that comes from standing at the edge of the ocean. Now, what it is, what God's word does to you is it, it kind of undresses and exposes you, and you see this, this deep awareness emerge inside your heart and mind of your weakness. You can put it like this. It just shows you that you are not who you think you are, and who you think you are is God. And what his word does is tell you in a thousand different ways, you ain't him. You are small. You're confused. You are dying. You are selfish. You are sinful. And that's not God condemning you. That's God just being honest with you. You are everything that he's not. And most people, when they get a whiff of something like that, they run in the other direction. You know, there are certain things people don't want to know about themselves. It's the same reason people don't ask for bathroom scales for birthday presents. There are some things about ourselves we'd rather not know. And yet God's word... <laughs> If God is speaking through it, like, like people of faith believe that he is, what it does is it, it shows us who we really are. It shows us all the things we don't want to see. It utterly exposes us. But, but here's the question I have for you. And it's a question that you can ponder whether you're here as a, a lifelong follower of Jesus or whether you're someone who's supremely skeptical about all this stuff. And this question is, is a basic human question. Do you want to be transformed? Do you want to be different tomorrow? than you are today? Are you unsatisfied with the way things are in you, like deep, deep within you? And do you believe that something, something has to change within you? Do you desire transformation? Do you want that deep hunger to be made new, satisfied in you? then the path towards that transformation that I think you know you need and want, the path towards that transformation begins when you stop running from the experience of being exposed by truth. 
And that's not just true of your relationship with God. That's, that's true of any relationship. Transformation begins when you stop running from the experience of being, of being transformed, exposed by truth. Truth that you might not want to know or hear. And that's certainly the case with God's word. Let it speak to you. Let it convict you. Let it correct you. Break down the fences that you've got around this part of your life or this part of your life and say, all right, all of this is fair game. I'm going to give God's word a hunting license in all these aspects of my life. Tell me what you find. The psalmist puts it like this, search me and know me. And see, God, if there's any offensive way in me. That's, that's what this is talking about. Let it speak to you, convict you, correct you. Let it show you who you really are. Stop running from that. And you might say, well, I'm not running from that. I think you are. I do all the time. We find lots of creative ways to run from the truth of God's word. We don't read it. We find lots of creative reasons not to come to church where we're going to hear it or encounter it. I would love just for once for somebody to be like, you know what, I can't come to my son's travel soccer game because I've got church and it's just interrupting things. Never heard it once in 16 years of ministry. We find lots of creative ways of running from the truth of God's word. And I know that none of this sounds fun being exposed and convicted and letting God's word do a work on you. I know it doesn't sound fun, but you, you're just going to have to trust me, rather trust God's word itself, that, that the end result, at least to God, is very, very beautiful. I mean, think about how a diamond becomes a diamond. Uh, through, uh, through exposure to heat and pressure, these, these atoms of carbon, they crystallize. And they become something that you can give to your girlfriend and make her into a fiancé. <laughs> That's like a miracle, right? In the same way, the word of God is this light that exposes. And it shows you who you are. It's a powerful, humbling light that shines upon you. But that exposure transforms. And, and here's how that exposure of being seen for who you really are in light of God's word... That exposure transforms when you take what it reveals about you, your weakness, your sin, your struggle, all that stuff, when you take what it reveals about you and you lift it up to Jesus. And you see, Jesus is the ultimate thing that God's word reveals. So creation tells us about God in, in general, rather, but God's word tells us about, about himself in detail. And the greatest detail about God is his son, Jesus Christ. And, and his life, and his death, and his resurrection, and his return for you. When you sit with God's word, it will introduce you over and over again to the person and the work of Jesus. And that's where the transformation begins. And you see, David knew this. Now, David wrote this psalm probably 970-ish years prior to the birth of Jesus. And yet, by the power of the Holy Spirit, as he's writing these words down, he understands that there's, there's more to this knowledge of God than just a God who is great and powerful and makes all that we see and whose ways are perfect. What he knows is that this is a God who wants to save his people, not destroy his people. This is a God who wants to pour grace and mercy upon people, not just judge and damn people. But listen to what he says. Listen again to what he says. This is how he... This is how he ends the entire psalm. This is a word of hope 
and faith. He says this, the last line. He says, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. David knew that the God that he was getting to know loved his people. And at the center of this whole story was a story of rescue, of God saving us. And that rescue comes in the person and the work and the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, to whom every letter of the scriptures ultimately points. Every story is ultimately about that. As one pastor once said to me, every word of the word whispers the name of Jesus. Every word of the word whispers the name of Jesus. Same pastor also said this, Jesus is the truer and better version of everything that you find in God's word. Because it's all about him. Jesus is the true and better Adam. Adam and Eve, Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3. Jesus is the true and better Adam who was faithful in the garden and whose obedience has been gifted, gifted to us. Jesus is the true and better Abel, the son of Adam and Eve, who was killed by Cain. Because Jesus, too, was innocently slain and his blood cries out not for our condemnation but for our acquittal. Jesus is the true and better Abraham who, trusting God, left his home in order to forge a people for the Father. Jesus is the true and better Joseph. Remember Joseph who was sold into slavery by his brothers, eventually became the second in command in all of Egypt? Jesus is the truer and better Joseph who, sitting next to the king, uses his power and his privilege to forgive those who've betrayed him and save them destruction. Jesus is the, the truer and the better Job, the truly innocent sufferer who helps his stupid friends. Jesus is the truer and better Esther who risked her, her castle and her position and her life, but Jesus risked, in fact, his position, left his miraculous home and gave his very life for his friends. Jesus is the truer and better Isaac, who was offered up by his father as a sacrifice to God. Jesus himself was sacrificed by the father for us. When the father looks at Abraham and says, I know that you love me because you didn't even spare your own son, we're able to look at God and say, we know that you love us because you did not even spare your own son. Jesus is the truer and better David who slayed the Goliath of sin and death and whose people earned the spoils even though they didn't earn a thing and pick up a rock to help him. Jesus is the true and better Jonah who gets thrown overboard to save us all from the storm. And it goes on and on and on. The point is this. All of creation points to Christ, and all of the scriptures point to him. 
It all finds its focus and its fulfillment in him. And God's point of revealing himself through the word is that you might be exposed for who you are and then take the reality of who you are and lift it up to Jesus. And that's where the transformation begins because it's all been pointing to and leading to him. And when you take the reality of who you are and you lift it up to Jesus, that's when the transformation happens because God announces you as forgiven. He calls you beloved. He says you are his own. He says that you are perfect and holy in his sight. You are perfect just like him in his own eyes because of the work of Jesus. And that's when the transformation begins. Now the question becomes, what do we do with all of this? Knowing that God reveals himself in general, in creation, but he reveals himself in detail, in his word, a word that exposes us and we shouldn't run from it because we take that exposure and we lift it up to the Father and he shows us Jesus who has done everything to save us and forgive us and make us a member of his family and that that changes us forever. What do we do knowing this? Well, I think at the very least, we commit to, to refusing to run from being exposed by the truth of God's word. What does that mean? Would you read it? And if reading it seems daunting because you don't feel like you understand it, would you, would you get a resource to help you read it? Or, or come to me and I, I can give you a resource to help you read it? Would you come to this place where you can, you can hear it and you can be taught it and you can be surrounded by other people who hold to it or being shaped and transformed? by it. And, and as this truth of who God is exposes you and shows you who you are, don't deny it. Embrace it. Don't try to rationalize it or explain it. J just take who you're revealed to be, your weakness and your, your frailty, your sinfulness and all of it, and lift it up to Jesus and know that God forgives it and he sees you as perfect and holy and beloved. And know Know that every demand of God's word has been fulfilled by Jesus for you and every, every imperfect or awful thing exposed in your life by God's word has been forgiven by Jesus for you. That's what we do with this and we repeat it continually until kingdom come. Expose yourself to God's word. Let it do a work on you. Lift up what you see to Jesus and know that you're forgiven and loved and watch as it transforms you over and over and over again. Don't run from the truth. Don't run from the truth. Let it transform you through the grace of God in Jesus Christ. And as it transforms you, know that it is more pleasing to the one who made you than every one of the 100 billion stars in all of the 200 billion galaxies that he has created. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can know you uh, we thank you that we can, we can look at creation and, and see that, that you, you not only exist, but we can sense something of who you are and what you're like. We, we thank you for that, that hunger that we have to be humbled by the beauty that you put before us.
but Father, help, help that hunger to be truly satisfied in knowing you in detail through your word and not running from the conviction that comes from that, not running from the truth that is offered to us from that, but exposed, help us, help us lift up who your word tells us we are, lift it up to Jesus and receive forgiveness and grace and mercy over and over again and trust that that process transforms us. Because, Father, we want to be made new. Thank you for making yourself known, both through the works of your hands and the words you have spoken. We pray this in Jesus' name and by the power of the Holy Spirit.